Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hello, I'm Sherry Hoyt, and I'm your host. Joining me today is Betty Jean Craig, author of Aldo, a mystery thriller about consequences, both academic and political, as the result of a terrorist holding a university president for ransom in order to stop her research into genome modification. Before we start, let's learn a little bit more about Betty Jean. Betty Jean Craig retired from the University of Georgia in 2011 after 38 happy years. During this time, she published books in the fields of literature, poetry translation from Spanish, history of ideas, ecology, and art. Her non-academic books are Conversations with Cosmo, At Home with an African Gray Parrot, published in 2010, Three Witherston Murder Mysteries, including Downstream, published in 2014, Fairfield's Auction, published in 2016, and Dam Witherston, published in 2017, all published by Black Opal Books. Her most recent work, Aldo, is a thriller, also published by Black Opal Books in 2018. Betty Jean Craig is a multi-award winning author. For more information on her and her books, visit her website at bettyjeancraigbooks.weebly.com. Hi, Betty Jean. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi, Sherry. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Uh, To start, why don't you tell us about your latest book, Aldo? Well, Aldo is a book that starts off with a president of a prestigious research university being kidnapped by an ideologue who wants her, the president, to fire a genetics professor doing research on the human genome. And the genetics professor is experimenting and exploring the possibilities of of genetic manipulation of the genome to eliminate a very horrible disease called Huntington's disease. Mm-hmm. So that's how it, the novel starts, and the novel explores the pressures on a university, outside pressures when a, the president gets kidnapped and everybody gets involved. The faculty want to preserve academic freedom. The donors want to preserve the president's life. Uh, Some donors don't like the idea that a president at their beloved university is doing this controversial research on the genes and the genetic manipulation. And so there are lots of things for the reader to think about. So it's kind of a serious novel. Yeah, yeah. It is such a controversial uh, topic weaved into your mystery. So uh, what do you want readers to think about while they're reading your story? Well, there are two main themes to the book. One is the immediate controversy over genetic manipulation, manipulation of the genome to change the genome of the offspring and the offspring's offspring and all future generations. Mm. So this is controversial because some people don't like the idea that we would be creating individuals in our own ideal image. Right. But other people are in favor of the research in this field because it offers the possibility to eliminate horrible genetic diseases. And so that's where I fall. I think we need to explore that possibility. It is kind of anthropocentric in that we're not thinking about diseases in other animals yet, but certainly this is worth thinking about. The other issue that I would like readers to think about is the importance of academic freedom 
and academic freedom involves the bestowal of tenure on faculty who are intellectually active after a few years' work. And the reason for academic freedom is that our society needs to preserve the freedom of intellectuals to explore the world outside of pressure from business people, religious people, government people, uh, other forces that would try to squelch thoughtful exploration of nature and culture. Mm-hmm. We have to guard carefully and at all times this freedom in the university and actually outside the university and in the field of journalism too, as you can imagine, but the freedom to uh, explore ideas and pursue the truth wherever that pursuit may lead us. And so Alto, the novel, brings up those questions. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of issues involved. So I want, the, I want readers to understand how university works better and then also think about genome manipulation. Yeah, that's really interesting. Wow. Not your average mystery, huh? <laughs> no, it's not my average mystery. <laughs> you know, this this weekend I was thinking about why novelists tend to write fewer novels than mystery writers write. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are a number of mystery writers who've written 20 or 25 mysteries. Mm-hmm. And, but serious novelists, don't write 20 or 25 novels in there. They may write two or three or five, maybe. And I think the reason for this is that a mystery is a puzzle. Mm -hmm. And a mystery writer creates a puzzle. You know, somebody kills somebody, and then who done it? And the puzzle develops in the first half of the mystery. And then the mystery writer has to figure out how the characters can solve them, can figure it out. So that's kind of, that's like putting together a puzzle and solving the puzzle. And that's what mystery writers do, and that's what I have enjoyed doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, A novel seems to be a more serious exploration of an idea. Mm -hmm. And writing a mystery for me is a lot of fun. I didn't start writing until after I retired from the University of Georgia. And for two years, I wrote a column in the local paper called Cosmo Talks. Cosmo is my African gray parrot. And the column would start off about Cosmo. Uh, She's very talkative. But it was about animal cognition and animal communication. So I wrote that column for two years. Then our paper shrunk. And I got evicted. My column got evicted (laughs) from the paper. I wasn't paid for it, so it didn't matter very much. And then a local novelist who's a friend of mine said, well, write fiction. And I said, I don't know how to write fiction. He said, it's easy. I can do it. (laughs) Well, that's Terry Kay, and he's quite an outstanding novelist. But anyway, I'd been reading mysteries since I read Nancy Drew as a child. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I always liked them, so that's what I plunged into. So I had written about three mysteries, and the third was in, in publication when I thought of Aldo. And I thought of Aldo one evening while waiting for the Academy Awards to start. That's my bird. Um, <laughs> I asked myself, what would be the most consequential crime at a university that I could think of? What kind of crime would affect the faculty, 
the donors, the administration, the trustees, the students? What kind of crime would get publicity nationally? And that's when I thought of the crime of holding a president for ransom and the ransom being that the president would fire uh, a tenured faculty member. Of course, when the president gets kidnapped, it's up to the vice president and other people to make the decision of whether or not to fire the genetics professor. Mm. But then I figured that was a pretty consequential crime, and I explored all the consequences. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of research went into it also with just having to learn about uh, genome modification. Yes. I must admit I have close friends who are geneticists. So uh, one of my close friends, John Avis, who is now at the University of California at Irvine, he read the novel in manuscript. And I had read his books years ago when he was at the University of Georgia. So it always helps a writer to have a few good friends uh, who can catch mistakes and that sort of thing. But I do do a lot of research. I did a lot for Aldo, and I do a lot for my murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so wonderful to sit at, sit at the computer and for me to realize I don't know enough about something, and I look it up, you know, go to Wikipedia and follow other clues, and pretty soon I know enough to write a little bit about it. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your Witherston murder mysteries and what motivated you to write this series? Yes. First place, I wanted to write about a part of the country that I love, and that is North Georgia. Hmm. North Georgia is a rural area in our country. It's the southern Appalachian Mountains uh, where the Cherokees lived for a thousand years Rolling mountains, it's very green. I just got back from the western North Carolina mountains, which is just above Georgia, uh, this past weekend to see the leaves and and go exploring. So I set my novels in a fictive town called Witherston, uh, about 20 minutes north of Dahlonega. And I chose this location deliberately because in my first novel, the main character is the fifth generation of a family that never had to work because the great-great-grandfather of this centenarian had panned for gold in Dahlonega during the Georgia gold rush, Mm. 1928 and 29, and got wealthy. And the gold belonged to the Cherokees. And then there was a Georgia land lottery. Georgia took land from the Cherokees and had a lottery where people won 40 acres of land. And so I wanted to connect the past and the present, mm-hmm. the past of Georgia settlers taking Cherokee land and gold and building their white civilization on it and the consequences of that. And one of my ideas in all of my novels, well, in all of the Witherston murder mysteries, is how the past intrudes upon the present. And so I try to have several stories going that intersect, one in the past and one in the present. And that's what I've done for the three murder mysteries that have come out. There's going to be a, a fourth that comes out in 2019. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you if you had more books planned in that series. The mystery that's coming out has to do with moonshiners in the 1920s and 30s and prohibition. And also in the present, I should say, there is 
lot of political turmoil because of the rise of the white supremacist mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. So that novel's more political than my others. I guess I would have to admit that I'm politically rather progressive. Mm-hmm. And I think people who are politically very conservative might not enjoy at least my most recent novel, yeah. which is called Chieftains, because I'm critical of the white supremacist movement. Yeah, well, there's a story for everyone. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about this this voice I keep hearing in the background. Uh, understand uh, you have an African gray parrot named Cosmo. Um, why did you want a parrot, and how long has Cosmo been a part of your family? <laughs> well, my friend John Avis, the geneticist, is also an ornithologist, and he and I were having lunch one day, and I said, you know, I think I want to get a parrot. And so he said, well, let's go out to this pet store that had baby African gray parrots, and I make up my mind very quickly, and I got Cosmo. She was six months old, and actually, it's kind of sad, I realize now, baby African gray parrots in Africa, just a minute, Cosmo, (laughs) baby African gray parrots in Africa stay with their parents for a whole year, and they learn the chirps and the calls from their parents. Every African gray family has a slightly different accent. Every flock has a unique accent, and so... We found this out with digital recording equipment that we didn't have years ago. Mm-hmm. And so the reason she's such a good talker is that she was taken away from her parents at the aviary at the end of four or five months old. I got her when she was six months old. Mm-hmm. So I became her significant other, and she learned to talk from me. Oh, wow. I say I didn't teach her to talk. I just spoke to her in simple language and she picked it up right. um, years ago in graduate school I taught Spanish and I, my major is comparative literature but anyway I taught mm-hmm. Spanish so I know the pleasure that comes from communicating in a different language and for Cosmo she has to communicate in English with me because I'm her person mm-hmm. yeah and so she you know asks where I'm gonna go she tells me she wants to go on a car she, she uses my voice, of course, unless a man comes in the house. She she just said, Cosmo, want to go to work. <laughs> I heard her. Oh, my gosh. That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> she knows I'm talking about her because she's very interested. Oh, yeah. She's a ham, huh? <laughs> oh, she's a her, her first joke was telephone for bird. And I laughed and she laughed. And so then she learned that she can make me laugh by telling me little jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Very intelligent, huh? Very intelligent. Yeah. So what has she taught you? She has taught me that all the creatures of the world, all mammals and all birds at least, have thoughts and feelings. Mm. And I just love being in a world where there are trillions of consciousnesses. Everybody, and I don't mean just humans, Everybody's thinking, figuring out how to get food, making babies, Mm -hmm. you know, enjoying life, flying through trees, running through bushes, that sort of thing. Before Cosmo, I hadn't been as aware as I have become about how everybody's thinking. And um, that's Cosmo whistling. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, I love it. By now, the way, I wrote a book about Cosmo. That was my first foray into non-academic writing, but wow. it's every word of it's true. It's called Conversations with Cosmo at Home with an African Gray Parrot. And that sort of gave me the pleasure of realizing that it was fun to write for a much wider audience. Yeah, and I wanted to circle back to um, your your murder mysteries, because uh, I understand you don't like violence, and I'm wondering how, how that works. How do you write, or why do you enjoy writing murder mysteries when you don't like violence? I like writing murder mysteries because I like making puzzles and solving them. A murder mystery is a kind of long-established genre where there are expectations on the reader's part and obligations on the writer's part. Mm. And the reader expects the writer to develop a good story uh, with good characters and a good mystery Mm -hmm. that the reader can solve with the help of clues that the writer gives. And a reader is going to be very disappointed if the reader can solve the mystery too soon, mm-hmm. if it's too easy. And also, the reader, a reader will be disappointed if the reader sees no possibility of ever having figured out the story. Right. So, as a writer, I try to play fair. You know, I develop the story, and in my novels, there's not a single first-person narration. I give the reader information from the web, from texts, from emails, from documents, from deeds, from newspaper clippings, Mm. and, you know, various different narrators telling the story. So the reader, it's a little cubistic, so the reader has to put together the story himself. Not that the reader has to work really, really hard, but the reader has a variety of sources of information. So the reader will eventually know more than any single character does in the novel, and the reader has a good chance of figuring things out. But ideally, the reader doesn't figure things out to the last 10 pages of the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like how you incorporate all of those different methods of dropping clues and stuff. It it sounds like a more engaging way to write the mystery or to play it out. Uh, Yes, and the reason I like to read mysteries, and probably a lot of people like to read mysteries, is that we like to be engaged. Mm -hmm. We like the interactivity of reading, you know, where we're having to work to figure something out. We don't just be passive and read what happened. We have to get involved ourselves in figuring things out. That's why I like mysteries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what is one thing that you wish you knew when you started your writing journey? I wish I had known how much fun it was. I loved my academic career, and I wrote a number of academic books and edited some books in various fields, um, literature, ecology, art, history of ideas, that sort of thing. And I enjoyed writing all of them. But I never realized how much fun writing mysteries would be. And if I'd known how much fun I would get from writing fiction, I might have had a shorter academic career and plunged into writing earlier. However, things worked out perfectly, and um, 
I've been retired since 2011. I'm 72 years old, and it doesn't bother me for people to know it. So I've had a wonderful retirement writing stories. Yeah, yeah. And I also engaged in other things around town, but writing stories is my passion. Mm-hmm. Writing is so much fun. I've got to get into another novel, I guess, because you can explore anything you want. That also makes it difficult. An academic novel, I mean, an academic book is constrained by our obligation to tell the truth. Right. Uh, a novel or a mystery has no constraints, so the writer can go anywhere she wants. But that freedom is also intimidating. Oh, yeah. Well, and on that matter, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring authors? I would tell young writers at the beginning of their career, write what you want to learn about. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what you already know about, but write what you want to explore and learn about, and then you'll know something new at the end of writing your mystery. I've written about lots of different things, and the reason is that when I wanted to know about something, I would figure out how to write a book about it, Mm. because I wasn't good at just retaining information without writing it down and exploring it. Right. You know, I love what you said about... uh, writing about what you want to learn about versus writing about what you want to know. Because to me, it always, I don't know, whenever I think about writing what I know, it it just sounds so limiting. I mean, I wouldn't have very much to write about if I was limited to writing about only what I know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, me neither. But, you know, and maybe that I have more freedom to write about what I want to learn about than serious novelists would. Because... Um, a mystery doesn't rise to the level of importance as a real great novel does. Mm. And that's fine with me. I'm just having fun. Exactly. Betty Jean, thank you so much for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live. We've really enjoyed it. I have enjoyed talking with you. Thank you very much. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Betty Jean Craig author of Aldo. For more information on Betty Jean and her books, visit her website at bettyjeancraigbooks.weebly.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at insidescooplive.com.